hit me. From Studio P, Sausalito, home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. The number one comedy podcast about comedy... Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast commentator, Mark Hershon. Yes, Tiss, I, Mark Hershon, your loyal host of Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. If this is your first time darkening our audio door, welcome, or if you've been here before, welcome back. This is Epi 37, and as usual, things are a little unusual with the show format-wise. Normally, Succotash is an array, a panoply, a veritable cornucopia of clips from podcasts from all over the web and all over the world. Sometimes we feature an interview with a podcaster or a comedian, or both as one, mixed in with some clips. This time, I have an interview with Ben Blacker, who is one half of the writer-producer team that creates the Thrilling Adventure Hour in Hollywood, California, America, which is a live stage show, but also a weekly podcast. And it's made up of a lot of different segments or episodes or showlets or, well, anyway, it's definitely a unique and thoroughly entertaining offering. I've played a few clips from uh, from the show here before. I have talked it up favorably when I have reviewed it over at This Week in Comedy Podcasts on Splitsider.com. And so as Ben and I talk about the Thrilling Adventure Hour, I will drop in snippets from the various stories that they feature on their show. A little bit of business before we get into it. Thanks to everyone who's been up rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help to increase our visibility and considering the fine entertainment we offer. Pointing the way to comedy podcasts that you might not otherwise have heard of or from. And the fact that it's absolutely free. That's right. Absolutely free. It's it's not a whole lot for us to ask, I don't think, for you to hop on up to iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio, for that matter, and give us a sparkling recommendation. Now, uh, I say we do what we do absolutely free. You don't have to make that so. If you jump up to SuckatashShow.com and just click on the donate button, give us a buck, five bucks, ten bucks, uh, whatever it is uh, that you feel in your heart might help us out to offset our production costs, and we will thank you heartily right here on the show. Speaking of podcasts, I'm off to the Los Angeles Podcast Festival this weekend, Friday through Sunday, October 12th through the 14th, down in Santa Monica. I'm not an official part of the festivities, other than being a backer on their Kickstarter campaign to help them get the whole gosh darn thing started, uh, me with hundreds of others, of course. But I will be wandering around the fest in a Succotash t-shirt, interviewing as many other wandering podcasters as I can, and then I'll play some of that mess right back here on the show. I mentioned rating us a, f- a second or so ago, and now for a limited time only, you can do even more to help out not just Succotash, but whatever your favorite comedy podcast might be. Nominations are underway for the 8th Annual Podcast Awards. Now, there are a bunch of categories, and as you can imagine, the scramble for the comedy kudos is pretty hairy. I urge you to click over to podcastawards.com and nominate your favorite podcast, not just in comedy, but in whatever other categories you like to listen to them in. In fact, if you're thinking of nominating this humble podcast, Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, would you do it in the entertainment category? I think that's where we actually net out. And besides, we wouldn't want to steal any thunder from our comedy podcast buddies now, would we? 
And you can do the exact same thing, by the way, over at Stitcher Smart Radio, where they're also having nominations for their podcast awards. Just go to stitcher.promotw.com and enter, then nominate your fave shows in their categories. You can do it once a day. And again, feel free to pop Succotash right into the entertainment and pop culture category if you have a mind to see us win something. All right, let's get into my interview with Ben Blacker. See you on the other side with our Burst of Durst and comedian, Will Durst. And now, coming to you from Hollywood, Los Angeles, California, America, it's the nation's favorite new-time podcast in the style of old-time radio, The Thrilling Adventure Hour. I am talking with Benjamin Blacker. One half of the team who brings us the thrilling adventure hour. So, Ben, thanks for talking to us. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to chat about it. Absolutely. Uh, as uh, I believe you know, we've featured you guys on Succotash uh, a few times. I do. Thank you so much. We, we heard, I think, the first one. Um, and that's so flattering. Oh, well, you guys uh, put out some entertaining product. You're very different as far as podcasts go. And uh, it's not really a podcast at its root, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Sure. Um, and I've also uh, favorably reviewed you guys on uh, Splitsider.com as well. I know. We, we love those. And we will... <laughs> Look, frankly, it's the only reason I'm doing this interview is that you say nice things about us. I want you to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's You know what? That's good enough for me. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take it. You guys have been doing the Thrilling Adventure Hour since 2005? Yeah, that's right. We started the stage show in 2005 um, at a 100-seat supper club, and we ran there for five years. And uh, we've been at Largo at the Coronet, which is two and a half the size. Uh, two and a half times the size of that first place um, for the past two and a half years. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite, had to be quite a trans transition. It was. It, and, and honestly, <laughs> your wow is correct. <laughs> if uh, <laughs> We never expected to be doing this for almost eight years, but it, it honestly does not feel like it. Um, the transition to Largo was really exciting. We had sort of after a few years at the old club, we had uh, we knew we had outgrown it. We were selling out really fast, and we were adding a second night, which kind of became a nightmare to manage just everybody's schedules to try to get them there for two nights. And you know, we have, we have a big cast. We have twelve to fifteen people, twelve to fifteen regulars, not counting you know band and guest stars. Um, so it, it, we knew it was time to look for somewhere new. And Largo, we. Ben and I, Ben Acker, my partner and I love Largo. We've been going for 15 years uh, from the old Largo and that now the Coronet. And, yeah. you know, we, we had seen the Paul F. Tompkins show there. And Paul's variety show is certainly closest <laughs> That's true. to our show. That's true. Uh, and Largo was a perfect venue for him. And he made that transition really well. So, you know, we, we knew it was time to make the move. There was a definite learning curve in the bigger venue uh, learning how to fill that stage and use a curtain. And, you know, we were afraid we would lose some of the intimacy of the small club, but uh, we got it. We got it back. Uh, we figured it out. When did you decide um, 
to take what you've been doing on stage and make it available and accessible as a podcast offering? From day one. <laughs> oh, okay. We couldn't do it from day one. Uh, <laughs> that had always been the idea. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer that you would record our shows and put them out for the world to hear. Um, we just didn't have the capacity at the old club. We have some of those old recordings, actually, and they're not terrible, and we're talking about ways to kind of introduce those to the fans and maybe kind of do a backstage thing and just play clips of them and stuff. Um, they're not terrible. They're not the quality, the really high-quality podcasts that we get now. Um, so, yeah, it had always been part of the plan, and then Largo was set up for it, and we brought on our engineer, Barry Duria, um, who is terrific and makes the podcast sound just beautiful. We're so proud of how rich it sounds. Uh, we brought him on kind of at the end of our club run and he came over to Largo with us and he's setting up this whole new sound system for them starting next month. We're, we're oh, wow. excited. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, more people, you know, are playing there and they want to record their stuff and they want to put them out. It, it just makes sense. Well, it's for me, it's great because I cut my teeth on listening to old radio shows. It's how I got into terrestrial radio in the first place uh, was because there was a station near me that used to play the oldies. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's that whole theater of the mind thing. And you guys really do bring it to life in a very comedic fashion. Oh, thanks. We're, you know, we are just doing the show that we want to see. Uh, it's, it's always been that way. And we're glad that people have come along for the ride. We got into it, not knowing anything about old time radio, uh, which is a little embarrassing to admit. Uh, still, like we still don't know very much. Um, but we know, you know, we've listened to quite a bit since starting the show, but it was the idea of the thrilling adventure hour was always what we imagined old-time radio to be. Uh, We weren't weren't beholden to anything, which I think, you know, freed us up to make it our own. Absolutely. So uh, let's turn back the hands of time a little bit. How did you and the other Ben get hooked up together? uh, We went to college together. We went to Syracuse University, and we had friends in common. We had sort of heard about each other for a while. And um, Then we met and were friends in college, and we started writing together shortly afterwards. I wound up transferring to Emerson in Boston, and Ben moved out to L.A. after graduating from Syracuse, and he was working on some spec scripts, and I had taken a sitcom writing class, a couple of them, at Emerson, which which were so much fun. And so Ben called me up, and I was like, let's do this together. And we got together. We wrote a bunch of terrible Buffy specs. Nice. And... uh, (laughs) But, you know, as bad as the scripts were, the writing together was really great. Uh, It's funny the way uh, things sort of move in and out because somebody I work with ended up working on Buffy and Angel. Uh, You familiar with Jane Espenson? I do know Jane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was a linguist at the the branding company that I was working with and I work with now. Mm -hmm. And uh, she actually, little known fact about Jane is she's the one who coined or found the uh, name Zima. Really? (laughs) Yes. I did not know that. I have actually on my other podcast, the Nerdist Writers Panel, I've interviewed Jane, Jesus, too many times at this point. uh, And she has never mentioned that. And I'm shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can spring that on her next time. I absolutely will. That's hilarious. (laughs) 
But uh, anyway, so you guys, um, you got together and started writing. And then when did the idea for what became the Thrilling Adventure Hour um, sort of gestate? Um, ben and I had written, we kind of wrote together for a couple of years. And then we took a break for about a year, uh, during which time I moved back to Boston. And then when I moved back to L.A., a little over eight years ago, uh, he and I had started working on a feature script called Sparks Nevada Marshall on Mars. And uh, we got the script into what we thought was good shape. And we got a bunch of actors to sit in my living room and read it. And we had never really heard our stuff read by mm. real actors before. Uh, and among them were Paul F. Tompkins and Mark Gagliardi, who are with us to this day in the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Uh, a couple other people who we knew. Um, uh, Vincent Carthizer was there from Madden, which is so okay. bizarre to me. <laughs> like when I think of that, I had just, my wife and I had just moved back to L.A. Or I, she had never lived here, but I just moved back. And here was Vincent Carthizer now, you know, wow. of Mad Men. And he was on Angel in my living room. But um, they did this reading and it was so great. You know, the script was fine. But the life that these guys brought to the characters was just unbelievable. Um, you know, Paul and Gags and Dave Gruber-Allen, who would be one of our first actors, too. Uh, they just killed us. And so Ben and I walked away from that going, there must be a way to show this to people. Uh, there must be a way to exploit our friends and uh, make them pay <laughs> $5 to come and see these amazing people uh, perform this stuff. And so... Ben had gone through the Second City writing program, and so he kind of culled the best people from there. Um, Gagliardi was one of those, uh, and later uh, Annie Savage and Hal Lublin and Craig Kukowski and Mark Evan Jackson. Um, and Ben had also written for Paul F. Tompkins' Variety Show, uh, so we knew we specifically wrote uh, Beyond Belief, the Frank and Sadie Doyle stories for Paul and Paget. Brewster, who is Paul's yeah. good friend. Uh, we oh, knew Paul, Paul would be able to rope her in. That's great. I love the Beyond Belief uh, segment. They're all great segments, but some of them really have a tremendous life uh, that really gets at that old radio feel. And that's certainly one of them. Uh, as a fan of the old Thin Man movies, it's yeah. uh, really a great send them. Yeah, we, we love the Thin Man. We love, um, there's a lot of His Girl Friday in that. Uh, a lot of like the Ernest Lubitsch or, and Billy Wilder movies uh, went into that. You know, we love that dynamic and Paul and Paget are unbelievable. I mean, yeah. they are the ones who bring life to that stuff. Um, you know, we, we can, I feel like we can kind of take credit for a lot of the other things, but we cannot take credit for the way they ring laughs out of every line or even every word. Welcome new customers. Welcome to an old man's old shop where old things meet new people. <laughs> people such as yourselves possibly and that possibility brings a new smile to this old face name's joe well hello joe frank what a sweet old man uh, probably joe <laughs> it would be our pleasure to purchase some slavery era rum <laughs> well rum eh uh, see the bottle in the window did you Yes, obviously. How much is it? 
Obviously, we are quite prepared to haggle, as I am quite the haggler. <laughs> I'm known in all the haggling circles, all but five, due to successful haggling. Oh. <laughs> oh, you needn't haggle over Joe's prices. He always provides you with what you desire. Look, Frank, a ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm Greta. Oh, I just adore ballerinas. Uh, I dance ballet myself until, in competition for a role, the pressure caused me to gradually lose my tenuous grip on reality, and I descended into a living nightmare. That... <laughs> that happens all the time. Yes, it was... It was a harrowing afternoon. Um... Sadie, when you were a ballerina, did you wear your ballerina clothes out in the world? Not even in my most dire of straits. I, I see. Hmm. Well, it's nice to meet you, Greta. Joel, uh, we'd um, like to purchase the Rumbleyon and be on our way. Fat chance of that. Frank, an army man. Well, would you believe it? Another customer dressed for work. Something irregular is occurring here. I'll say. And if my intuition is correct, the army man has a strong opinion about it. Oh, boy, do I. I, I bet he could shed some light on the irregularity. Could I ever? If only I would ask. All oh, the stories I could tell. Mm. One bottle of rum, please, Joe. Well, let me see. Priceless batch of history's first rum in its original bottle. Wait, wait. They didn't buy anything yet. Not yet. Oh, forget I said anything. You should have told me that they hadn't bought anything yet. I was trying to catch your eye the entire time you were talking. Um, anyway, uh, what do we owe you? <laughs> oh, hold on, love. Oh, miss, for a smile as pretty as yours, I couldn't bear to part with it for anything more than a nickel. A nickel? That's nearly five cents. <laughs> Sadie, there's something strange going on. He's asking for a nickel for a priceless bottle. Well, that, that, that's not it. That's part of it. <laughs> that's funny. You know, it, it's funny to me that our paths never actually crossed because I was in L.A. for a uh, number of years, and I was um, actually writing for a sketch crew on the other side of the hill. I don't know if okay. you're familiar with uh, Fries on the Saw. No, I don't, I don't know a lot of sketch stuff here. Um, I've always been a little sketch resistant. Acker would probably know, though. Yeah, but they were a, a group working out of a theater in uh, North Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had our own gimmick, which is we would write during the week, and the actors never saw the scripts until an hour before the show. <laughs> and then they were all on teleprompter. Oh, wow. Uh, That's so, yeah, so. How did it go over? It, uh, it went over great, except yeah. when the teleprompters went down. Exactly. <laughs> then they had to turn into improvisers. Sure. Uh, that's but, really fun. Yeah, it was in a very interesting format, and it went for about seven or eight seasons. And finally, uh, the guy running it just uh, got too busy and had to change gears. 
Sure. It's, I think a lot of people don't realize how much work can go into these things. You know, it feels like it's an hour and a half once a month or however often, but, you know, for us at once a month, but, uh, it is it really, there's a lot of planning and juggling, not to mention the writing, uh, that happens. <laughs> give us, give us an inside glimpse. What, what happens to bring each month's show to, uh, to life? Um, Ben and I will usually, well, we kind of approach each piece of the show differently. Um, we love, well, we, re- we love writing all of it, but we especially love writing Sparks Nevada. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's in part because Sparks is the most serialized part of the show. Uh, you know, Sparks gets to grow and change as a character, whereas the Doyles or Captain Laserbeam do not. Um, <laughs> So we, we will sit down maybe, you know, every six months or so and plot out a year's worth of Sparks stories, mm-hmm. uh, even sort of in a rough sense, but we, we always know where we want to get to. And um, especially because Sparks has a lot of recurring characters uh, who are not the main character. Uh, yeah. So we want to be able to bring back, you know, if we, if we want Josh Molina for seven episodes out of nine, we want to be able to say, Josh, we'll need you for these dates or... Linda Cardellini or Nathan Fillion or whoever's coming to do it. Um, we want, we want to make sure we can schedule those guys. Yeah. We've uh, kind of actually, uh, engendered a spinoff with the Cactoid Jim. Uh, oh, totally. series. We, we feel like the Sparks universe is so rich, uh, that <laughs> there's so many stories to tell. There's so many fun characters in there that like we'll spin off Cactoid Jim. We spun off the, uh, United Solar System Alliance. Uh, this month we're, spinning off the troubleshooter who appeared uh, in a few episodes. Uh, she's getting her own middle piece in the show. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot of, you know, we love these characters. We, we really have fun writing them and even more fun watching the actors perform them. When last we left our hero, Sparks Nevada was on the run from Mercy Laredo, a bounty hunter aiming to bring him in dead or alive. Also, we dated in college. Will Sparks Nevada escape being bounty hunted? Find out in tonight's exciting episode, Mercy Killing. Well, we got a dangerous bounty hunter on our trails. Barkeep, you get on home. You ain't mixed up in this hardly at all, and plus it's nip. Goodness! Yeah. Wow. Never seen him run off that fast. No. Next, we ought to get this bounty off my head. Reckon I better have a showdown with Marshal Tex, who stole my badge via showdown. Get my badge back. <laughs> ha, ha, and ha. Three units of human laughter I have emulated. Yeah, why... Why are you emulating human laughter, Crouch? You did not succeed in your prior attempt to show it down with the robot known as Tex. Why you perceive you would succeed in your current state is, if my understanding of the concept is correct, ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, yeah? And what current state is it that I'm in, you reckon? You are fat. <laughs> I ain't fat, Crutch. Well, denser, then. On a, on a molecular level. Your cell walls are fleshy, your electrons are plump, and your neutrons are sluggish. It is as if you have not drawn your weapon, nor fired it in months. Well, I, yeah, because I haven't, Crouch. It is as if you have gone on a cattle drive 
with a gourmet chef. I, I did do that, yeah. Well, that's fancy. Yeah. But, you know, it's no wonder your molecules are chunky. Gunfighting's a muscle, Nevada. You gotta exercise it. You ain't showing down with text as is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, but I wanna, so. Well, not with them, Adams. <laughs> Adams, more like fathoms. <laughs> Up high. I gotta reckon about how to lift your bounty off Nevada. I reckon we get my husband Jim to do some mayoring on your behalf. Mm. Repeal them wanted posters till you're back to where you ain't wanted at all. Will none relinquish their onus to my incredible barb by offering the mutual contact of hands? <laughs> Unacceptable. Self high five. So we'll have that Spark Summit every six months or so, and then Beyond Belief, um, it's always a little bit by the seat of our pants. It's, we, know, we know we have Paul and Paget. What do we want them to say? Uh, what, you know, it's often the conversation is what tropes haven't we played with, or you know, how can we make a story personal to them, or how can we find an interesting way into a story? Um, you know, one of, the, one of the ways Ben and I became friends was we took a uh, history of horror films class together. Okay. Which was such a fun class at Syracuse. And uh, so we will always go back into that well of horror tropes that we learned in that class or what does this represent and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, that's – those are – everything is written within a week and a half or so. Uh, and then we'll write and rewrite um, and then, you know, for, for the middle bit, it's who is not served. <laughs> who in the cast haven't we served in these other ones? And, or what guest stars do we want to get in? Or, you know, but what story do we feel like telling? You know, sometimes we'll have a Captain Laserbeam that needs to be told. So how, about how long does it take to, to, to put together an entire show's worth of, of uh, writing? Uh, if we were able to do it straight through, it would probably take a week to a week and a half. <clears throat> uh, but you know, this show doesn't pay the bills. So there are always other things to do before it. Sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we, we steal time to kind of do it, but, but really, you know, probably about two weeks, uh, we break everything together, uh, every story, um, sometimes more loosely than others, but then Ben will usually go off and write a first draft and then I'll come in and second draft it. And his first draft is so strong that I generally don't have to do much, but take a, take things out. <laughs> uh, kind of sharp, sharpen the character voices. Are there uh, particular favorite characters that you have and that Ben has? Um, I couldn't speak to Ben. I can say that he loves writing Beyond Belief way more than I do. Um, <laughs> I, I love it, but it feels so jokey to me, and that's not my favorite thing to do. Um, but, you know, we, we always have fun when we do it, and then seeing Paul and Paget do it is... You know, I, it's like I forget every month how much, how great it is <laughs> yeah. uh, and how great they are. And it's like, oh, I got to do this thing again. But um, I, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's less writing characters than it is writing for specific actors. 
you know, we love writing Sparks because we love writing for Mark Evan Jackson. Um, when we, when we, Ben and I get hired to write a pilot, which kind of happens every year, we always write a part for Jackson because it's such a strong voice and he's so funny. And, you know, someone like Craig Kukowski can do anything. And so him, when we write a moonshine holler for him and Hal Lublin, we give them these verbal gymnastics to, <laughs> to uh, speak and they pull it off and it's just amazing. So, yeah, we, we just love writing for the cast. Say, who's a rustling in the newspapers what I use for blankets? Gummy and banjos, who? We are hobos of the first order and request by hobo code to share your boxcar. We offer this can of beans to share by way of court and hospitality. Your knowledge of hobo etiquette is appreciated. Let us take a quick accounting amongst ourselves. I say, yep. 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 Well, welcome to our temporary home, Phileas. I'm squeaky. I'm referring to bestowed upon me because of how I'm the exact particular type of wheel that gets duly greased given the opportunity. And I'm Stacy Buckets. <laughs> Stacy Buckets? Didn't you die sneezing outside a Tallahatchie pepper factory? Oh, one of the many buckets of tales attributed me as the subject of. You sure it wasn't you? Why, well, you're told they named the town after the sound of your sneezing. Uh, you're thinking to tell you And was a hobo named a city mouse Dunbar who lost his life to scarlet hay fever. He died sneezing so brave that they couldn't help but name the town after him. And behind the most Rip Van Winkle some beard, you'll meet Diogenes Eddie. <laughs> Funny name, Diogenes. Don't you think, Squeaky? I do think, Gummy. Uh, Diogenes, was he not the be-lanterned Grecian philosopher said to travel hither and yon in search of an honest man? You're thinking correctly. Be you Grecian as well? What I am is a searching high and low, not unlike my namesake didn't not do. <laughs> I'm looking for one who, though hobo, is of another bearing entirely. That is some coincidence. I seek the one who outshines the station of the vagabond, fair of skin and beatific of disposition, the shininess diamond in the roughest of roughs. Sir, I believe we are brothers in purpose, or perhaps we shall be rivals. Where, pray, did you first lay eyes upon the hobo princess? New Haven, Schenectady, Old Haven, Peoria, Regular Haven. I ain't the hobo princess. Was it? Just another in the bucket of stories attributed to me. Yes, I none suspected it was you. Tree-wise, you all are barking up a mistook one. And you know how come it ain't me What who is the hobo princess? For the same reason I ain't the hobo princess? <laughs> Dude, I'm busy being another person? Dude, I'm real. Every third hobo on the rails has itself a pair of eye hearts for the hobo princess. But she's make-pretend. Okay, moonshine holler is just a fairy tale story. I pray, fair lady, that you are mistaken. Well, pray twice as long as you're wasting them. 
There's plenty of metaphoric fishes in the sea that is the U.S. railway system. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, a couple of the other um, segments and where they came from. So uh, what, what about the adventures of Captain, Laser, Captain Laserbeam? Captain Laserbeam, you know what? I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I, you know, Ben and I love comic books. We grew up in comic books and we love animation uh, and especially superhero cartoons and stuff. Um, but God, I, I wish I could remember where it came from. You know what? You'll have to give Acker a separate interview. Maybe he remembers. <laughs> but, okay. uh, we, I know part of it was we wanted um, a, a piece of the show where we could pretty much just trade out parts of it. You know, like we, it would always have the same beginning, it would always have the same middle, and it would always have the same last third of it. Um, and so Captain Laserbeam lent itself to that. I think Acker hit on the Adventure Coteers as the middle piece. Um, and so once we figured out that module, then it's just about, I mean, Captain Laserbeam more than anything else is just a joke machine. Uh, and so once we figured out the module, it was about putting the jokes into it. What's come out of it has been really fun because it is the kind of world building that we enjoy. And like anytime we have a tossed off villain name, we can't wait to cast someone as that villain in a future episode. <laughs> I mean, I think the waterfowl was one who we were like, that is a hilarious villain. Uh, and then we got Chris Hardwick to play him and it was, he killed it. I mean, it was such a yeah. funny piece. I am the waterfowl. Oh, don't, don't I know it. Uh, boss, do you want me to rig up some strings so you don't have to hold that Egypt mask up to your face when you pretend to be an Ibis? <laughs> Good duck. So very thoughtful. If only duck and goose were more like you. But no, my dear duck, I have no need for man string. Well then, I guess I'll get to work on this here display case, get the trophy hall on its feet. <gasps> thoughtful again, duck. After all, soon the famed beak of Araby comes to the Museum of International Valuables, and then it shall make its way home here via devious avian pilfery. Oh my gosh, once this lair is built up, it's going to be like a fancy little museum inside here. It's going to be the best lair ever. You're, you're not just saying that, are you? No way, boss. I always wanted to be a docent. <laughs> docent duck, I rather like the sound of that. Squeakle, squeakle! Oh, no lie, boss. I get all like, you know, I, I don't know, excited about it. You know, like, like I'm a kid, and it's Christmas Eve, and I can't sleep. You know, I know it's your thing, but I really feel like it's my thing, too. Am I making sense here? I want it to feel that way. It does! It does, boss. And, oh, the location? What of it? Oh, it's so clever. Correct! The Heron Towers. I couldn't believe it when I heard that was the name of a building complex. Yeah, and on the corner of Swampy Marsh and Spoonbill. It is as if I named the avenues. You, you really lucked out. I know. I fight the urge to proclaim as much to everyone I see. You know what I feel like, boss? Like a lucky duck. And I want to shout it from the rooftops uh, about me and you and this awesome lair and everything. Ah, 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 but you dasn't. It's secret, you know. No, no, of course not. Secret, I get it. Quack, quack, right? Quack, quack, wrong. When crime appears upon the scene, so does Captain Laserbeam. Captain... 
waterfowl. I'm here to take you down. Hey, down. What? Like goose down. The, the goose. A stretch. Now, duck. Why don't... Why don't you give our guest a goose egg? No reason that I can think of not to do that, boss. Not so fast. Laser punch! Ow! Oh, he laser punched me! Duck! Yeah, boss! No! Duck! Laser kick! Oh, oh, no! He laser kicked me! Oh, I am mistaken for the homophone. I maybe could have avoided it. Come on now, Duck. Are you a pelican or a pelicant? A pelican! Laser punch again! Oh, I might have, uh, I might have spoken too soon in regard to being a pelican, boss. I don't know how much more I can take. I'm just a guy. A guy I can't. Oh, sweet duck, you needn't swallow further punishment. You have given me time to activate my most sinister death trap, the trumpet of the swan. I can only imagine what havoc this is playing with your laser hearing, Captain Laserbeam. First, you shall be deafened, and then, soon after that, you shall die, just like Hans Christian Andersen did. That's great. Uh, what about Jefferson Reed, Ace American? Um, kind of, it's still sort of, it was the same sort of thing where we never, it was never meant to, uh, be so so huge. <laughs> um, I, it came one month when I think either Mark Evan Jackson, I think Jackson was not in town. Uh, over seven and a half years, he's only missed like two shows. And so uh, he missed one show, so we couldn't do Sparks. So we wanted, but we knew we wanted to start the show with a thrilling adventure story and not a supernatural suspense story. The name of the show used to be The Thrilling Adventure and Supernatural Suspense Hour. Ah. Um, so the first part was always a little more action-y and the last part with Beyond Belief was always a little more horror. So we knew we wanted an action story and, um, this kind of Captain America, you know, super soldier was very appealing to us. We love, you know, Hellboy and a lot of this, the kind of World War II horror, which there isn't a lot of it, but that pulpy horror stuff, um, and so that's where that came from. Uh, because we didn't have Jackson, Paul F. Tompkins played Jefferson Reed uh, the first time we did it, and through much of the first run at Largo. Uh, okay. But a lot of a lot of I mean, not at Largo. I'm sorry, at, at Embar. Um, and we actually have a great recording of Paul as Jefferson Reed, which we will have to put out to the world uh, in <laughs> some way. Um, and then Paul left. It was always a, a role that evolved and Paul left and Paul did this really funny, as you can imagine, square jawed hero. Uh, but Paul went to New York for a year and then James Urbaniak took over Jefferson Reed, uh, which was a whole other strange take on the character. <laughs> and James was amazing. And he'd walk out on this little stage, uh, pretending to chew gum. And so he had like this kind of, casual drawl where he was this kind of laid back um, Western hero almost. <laughs> uh, he was so funny at it. 
And then I think the second time we were doing Ace American at uh, Largo, which was very early in our run, it was the third month at Largo, uh, James had to drop out at the last minute. He had to go to New York to shoot something, I think. And um, Ben, it was like really like a, a couple days before the show. And Ben and I were at a barbecue and we were grilling everyone there saying, who is the most American hero? Who can play Captain America? And uh, everyone was like, Nathan Fillion. You have to get Nathan Fillion. <laughs> I'm like, wow, we, you know what? We actually are one step away from Nathan Fillion. Uh, so I emailed Marissa Tancherone when I got home and she said, you know what? That's the kind of thing he might be into. He doesn't get to do a lot of live stuff. And he comes from sketch comedy up in Canada yeah. when he was starting yeah, out. Right. Um, and so Nathan was game and he threw himself into it. And it was the best thing that could happen for the show. Um, cause you know, a Nathan Fillion, Fillion audience, we knew would love our show if only they knew about it. <laughs> yes. And so that, that made them know about it. And now I'd like to introduce my new boy sidekick fresh from the United States Adorability Initiative. Pal Sawyer, everyone. Hey America, I'm Pal Sawyer and cheese and crackers I'm fired up. Pal Sawyer. The latest pubescent protege to Jefferson Reed, Ace American. Orphaned by the Japs on his 13th birthday, when Tojo's boys paid Pal's parents a visit at Pearl Harbor, Pal Sawyer tried to enlist in the Army for some good old American payback. Sorry, Pal, too young for the Army, but not for the United States Adorability Initiative. <laughs> How will Pal measure up? Let's find out. Welcome aboard, son. I don't have to tell you what sort of shoes you've got to fill. <laughs> Big ones, sir. The biggest. Cheese and crackers, I'll do my best, Ace. That's all I ask. That was a moving eulogy, Agent Reed. Pal, I trust you know this old warhorse. Oh, gosh, yes. General Flagwell chose me out of the whole initiative to be your new star-spangled lad. He met all the eligibility requirements. Spry, eager, orphan... <laughs> and this is my best girl, Agent Adams Hi, kid Don't get dead out there Well, I'll do my best, Miss Adams Honest engine Now, there's just one more person I want you to meet, pal And it's the president Franklin Delano Roosevelt Mr. President Pal Sawyer, the newest star-spangled boy Hiya, kiddo. Put her there, pal. <laughs> That's right, son. Roosevelt. Roosevelt. That's it, kiddo. Like on the dime, eh? Are you okay, Junior? You don't look so hot. Oh, sorry, Mr. President. Cheese and crackers, it's a real honor to meet you. I just came over real lightheaded. Must be first day jitters. <laughs> mm, must be. I've got just the thing for that, pal. Why not join Abby and me on a trip around the nation's capital? Washington, D.C.? Got it in one. <laughs> Whenever we get the chance, Agent Adams and I take in the cherry blossoms and check out the codes intercepted by the foreign code interceptors by the Lincoln Memorial. Sounds great, Ace. Yeah, terrific. Then it's settled. Unless. Unless? I spy, Abby. Agent Harrington's heading our way. I have a feeling if he's here, 
Our plans are about to change. Agent Reed? Abby? Sorry for your loss. Agent Harrington? Joe? We gated fire, Agent Harrington. You don't have clearance to be at this funeral. <laughs> then by God, promote me or arrest me, but you better hear me out first, sir. I've got intelligence here. It says there's a spy here, sir. Here, sir. An enemy spy has infiltrated Brownie Friend's secret funeral. Sweet Cajun fire. <laughs> Promoted. God bless you, sir. And America. A crowd here? Everyone, keep calm. Calm down, everyone. Morning in America. You're starting a panic. Attention, everyone! Take your seats or else! Anyone standing will be presumed drunk and shot! Well done, Abby. First things first. Protocol says we get the president to safety. Maneuver Macbeth Tango Romeo! Easier said than done. Where is he? Ah, oh, Jeff! His wheelchair's empty! He's gone! And he's not the only one. Where the devil is Pal Sawyer? That presumptive stinking crowd. Uh, who else can you want to, uh, who else do you want to tell us about? The one, the, the odd, um, story I do remember, because it's one of the few things that I wrote the first draft of. Ace American I wrote the first draft of, and, uh, Down in Moonshine Holler, the hobo fairy tale, I wrote the first draft of, and, uh, it was a notion that Ben and I had for this hobo story, uh, and I was still teaching high school at the time. Oh. Um, and I, I was teaching it through the first few years of doing the show. And I was teaching Macbeth to my 10th uh, grade class. And at the same time, I was watching Deadwood every night, <laughs> I was, like catching up on Deadwood. So what came out on the page was this weird amalgam of like this Old West David Milch uh, language coupled with this sh- almost Shakespearean overblown language. Uh, <laughs> it's so much fun to write because the words make sense, <laughs> but not in the way you expect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's where that came from. And I think it was actually Ben's idea. Uh, we came to the secret millionaire together, but I think it was Ben's idea to give him a hobo mentor because <laughs> he had heard Hal Lublin do this Rochester voice. Oh, okay. And Hal, it was so funny that we just, we had to write it in. A lot of stuff, especially in the early days, used to come out of just bits people would do at rehearsal, <laughs> mm. uh, especially like Dave Gruber, Allen and Hal and Annie and Craig will crack us up during rehearsal and characters will very often come out of that. Now it seems the longer you that you guys have been around, the bigger uh, name you attract as guest stars. Yeah, uh, it's just it's sort of luck. Um, you know, we started out with this cast that was kind of half known people like Paul and Paget and Gruber, and half people from Second City. Um, but the show's profile has risen as have the profiles of a lot of our actors. You know, Mark Evan Jackson is working all the time. Craig Kukowski is working all the time. And they also have these great reputations in the L.A. comedy scene. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, we, we may have some small thing to do with that, but it's mostly they're doing improv shows and sketch shows constantly and, and are really good at it. And so people say, oh, Jackson is doing this. I will come do this too. Um, 
but yeah, the, the way we cast is always who would be good for this role, who is the dream casting for this role. Um, and then, all right, do we, do we know anyone who knows them? <laughs> you know, we, Paget was on Criminal Minds for, I think, 25 years. Uh, <laughs> she was there since the early 80s. And uh, <laughs> we've been wanting Joe Montaigne for the show forever. And so when we knew she was leaving Criminal Minds at the end of the year, we were like, Paget, it's time to make the ask. Let's get Joe. <laughs> and uh, as it happened, it was we were planning to do this David Mamet-ish genie story in Beyond Belief. So it was, we, we've got to get him for that. Um, but, you know, J.K. Simmons, who is amazing, yeah. not someone we ever thought would do the show, did this series of farmer's ads with Jackson. And uh, they hit it off. Uh, and so J.K. was... Uh, we said, do you think J.K. would want to do the show? And Jackson said, yeah, I'm sure he would. But you should know, that guy can sing. He's really, really pipes. Um, like, well, we've got a perfect role for him. And we put him in our, our Sparks musical episode. <laughs> Where are you, Nevada? I know you're out there somewhere. But where? I'm here, right here. Where are you hiding, hombre? I ain't hiding, no. I'm just laying low. I'm gonna kill you someday. Don't know when, my poor doomed friend. Eyes will not surprise me in any way. I'm just the cuss to do it. Don't bet on living through it. Yes, I'm gonna kill you someday. I'll rip you apart. I feel it in my heart so strong. If killing you is right. Could killing you be wrong? It can't be wrong. Maybe June, some afternoon. Hmm, how's August? Sure. October? Yep. Or May? gonna kill you it'll give me such a thrill too i'm gonna kill you someday So, That's yeah, going to be a fun discovery to make that uh, you uncover these sort of secret talents like um, Nathan Fillion's sketch background and J.K. Simmons' singing ability. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think a lot of the the working actors or the actors you know from TV will, will do our show because it's an opportunity to do something they don't always get to do. A lot of these TV guys don't get the immediate gratification of a live audience. And we have an amazing audience, you know, uh, I'm, I'm always so flattered and also blown away by 
the audience reactions, not just to the funny stuff in the show, but to the emotional stuff in the show. Um, this is a bit of a spoiler for the people uh, who haven't been to the live show, but in an upcoming podcast, something terrible happens to Croach the Tracker. Uh-oh. Uh, and when it happened, the audience literally gasped. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, my wife, who has been coming to the show for eight years, seven and a half years now, said, walked out of that going, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, so that's invested in the characters. Yeah, they they really grow attached, and you know it's it's amazing. It's so flattering, and and then that that all comes out on you know the people doing fan art that we get on Twitter, and you know it's it's really cool. We're we're very proud of the community that's formed around the show. Let's talk about a couple of the other elements that really set you apart from most, certainly podcasts and even live shows. One is the music. How does that all come together? <laughs> Um, (laughs) by the seat of our pants, uh, we are in really good hands with, uh, Andy Paley, who is an amazing composer and Jonathan Dinerstein, who's his right hand man, who in his own right is a great composer and also, uh, sort of the glue that holds the band together. Um, we, we give these guys some often very tricky things to do. Um, and they, they just nail it every time. Um, we had Ben and I, especially in the first five years or so when we were still, you know, setting the voice of the show, we had a great time going over to Andy Paley's and writing theme songs with him. And (laughs) the guy, he can't not write a catchy song. Uh, you know, I think Captain Laserbeam is the peak of it. That theme's ridiculously catchy, but it's impossible for Andy to write a song that doesn't get stuck in your head. That's great. Uh, so we've been really lucky for that. And that all, you know, the only song that's not by Andy is the Sparks Nevada theme, which is by Evan Schletter. And it's a brilliant thing. And, you know, Evan gifted it to us in the first few months of the show. And uh, Andy arranged it so it's even catchier than the song in ah. originally. When there's varmints need to catch it and youngins need to save it on my rocket steed I race across the stars. I've sworn by the burrs of my astro spurs to write the outlaw wrongs on Mars. Yes, he writes the outlaw wrongs on Mars. The hyper cattle's humming and the margin savage drumming are as beautiful as comet bugs in jars. Sure, I'm from Earth, but I write the outlaw wrongs on Mars. Yes, he writes the outlaw wrongs on on the plains, the red planet, I uphold the law, and I do it with a pair of robot fists. How? Evil extermination I have faced for my robot oh, rose, they hardly ever miss. And I reckon I'll be riding in the name of truth and justice for as long as I can count the shooting stars. For I've sworn by the burrs of my astro spurs to right the outlaw wrongs on Mars. Yes, he writes the outlaw wrongs. And then yeah. the other thing is um, sound effects, mm-hmm. you know, f- Foley artists, uh, you know, that's what really brought old radio to life was being able to hear sounds that would allow you to conjure these pictures in your mind. So where, yeah. where do you guys get that? Uh, it's fun. It's, we try to 
early on uh, having a, lo a live Foley artist uh, on the stage, but we found that it just drew too much attention away because mm -hmm. our show is a story that you have to listen to. You know, you have to concentrate a little bit. Uh, and so to have someone rattling glass every once in a while became distracting. Um, so now all of our sound effects are done by Joel Spence, who is a terrific artist and also this engineer, uh, this sound engineer. Uh, I don't know that he ever intended to do that, but he joined our show as an actor. And uh, while he's a great actor, he's also been amazing for providing these sound effects. Um, so yeah, that's Joel Spence uh, does that, and he he creates them. You know, again, it's we often ask some really weird, <laughs> strange things. What's the sound of a Martian turning inside out? <laughs> and uh, some of it is done by Mark Agliardi, but you know, it's the great effect is by Joel. Uh, and honestly, I don't know how he does it. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, and he works for nothing, and he works so hard for us, as everyone in the show does. You know, and they they. Nobody gets paid. They do it for the love of the game, uh, like we do. Yeah. Um, and, and what is the ultimate goal for you guys? Do you want to go, get to television? Or are you happy doing what this show is the way it is now? Um, both. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, that that would be nice. We um, the show was in part designed that any piece of it could be spun out into its own TV show or movie or whatever. And so we did that for a little while. We, we sold a Sparks Nevada cartoon a few years ago to Nickelodeon. And uh, it didn't get made, but it was a great experience just pitching the show and then developing the show. Um, and uh, we're taking out... I can't talk about something else. Uh, <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> um, nothing might happen with it. I don't want to get my own hopes up. I understand. Uh, but yeah, that, that was part of the design of the show. At this point, the show is sort of its own thing, which is amazingly satisfying. Um, so, you know, we're taking the show on the road. We're going to New York for the first time uh, at the end of September to the Brooklyn Bell House. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, we're really excited. And again, the fans rallied and they sold out the show within 24 hours. Wow. And 48 hours, rather. And then we added a second show, and they sold that out within the next couple of days. Um, so that's something we're starting to do is, is travel with the show itself. And, you know, it's, it's, a big, it's a big beast. There are a lot of moving parts involved. I uh, remember, did, did you guys ever bring up to uh, Sketchfest in San Francisco? Yeah, that was our first experience in traveling with the show, and it's kind of what made us think it could happen. Um, we have been to Sketchfest the last two years. Okay, yeah. And those guys are amazing, Janet Varney and, and Cole Stratton. Uh, uh, I've known them since they were little children, basically. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cole actually joined my improv group uh, right out of uh, San Francisco State. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. He must have been an adorable little scamp. He, wa he still is. <laughs> he still is. <laughs> that is accurate. Uh, but, but they were uh, great. Yeah, the, uh, the sketch group that he and Janet and Dave were in used to sort of piggyback onto our gigs. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, they, they built this thing. I mean, Sketchfest is pretty amazing. Um, so, yeah, they, and, and they made it look so easy to travel. Yeah. Uh, it turns out it's not. Mm -mm. It's a trick. No, we're, we're learning that as we approach this New York <laughs> trip. Um, 
So yeah, that's one thing we're doing. You know, what Ben and I would like to do is create stuff and make it. And, you know, whether that means it's on the stage or it's on iTunes or we're putting out web series or we have our own TV show uh, based on our own stuff or based on stuff from the show that we created uh, from the Thrilling Adventure Hour that we created. You know, it's it all it all does the same thing for us. You know, we're we're getting satisfaction from it anyway. That's great. Um, let's see what. Um, it, so you guys do it once a month, basically in, the, in LA. And I know you talk about it on the show, but if somebody's coming to Los Angeles, how can they best try and get seats? Um, good luck. Okay. Uh, we sell out pretty quickly. <laughs> Um, but tickets are on sale through the end of December. Uh, I'm sorry, through the December show. And we okay. do doing two shows in December. Um, you can go to our website, thrillingadventurehour.com, or you can go to the Largo website, largo-la.com and check out their calendar and you'll see, uh, the link to get tickets for any of our upcoming shows. And how often do you guys, uh, drop an episode on, um, the uh, either iTunes or through your site. Um, every week the podcast comes out uh, every Monday, and uh, it's new material every week. And it's three three weeks out of the month. It's material culled from the live show, and then for the fourth week we kind of try to do something new and fun and silly, and you know work with people that we want to work with. So. Uh, this year we collaborated with the Super Ego podcast, uh, which is they're an amazing group of guys. That's a that's a great series you have going. The uh, War Between Two Worlds. Yes, the War of Two Worlds, which actually ties into the world of Sparks Nevada. Uh, <laughs> savvy listener will recognize uh, at least one character from Sparks Nevada, even though it's it's a thousand years in the past from the Sparks world. Super. And the Thrilling Adventure Hour present A War of Two Worlds, a multi-part crossover spectacular written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker and improvised by Super Ego, the Work Juice Players, and special guests. Written and improvised? Yes. Edited by Matt Gorley? Definitely. Music by James Bladen? A third thing. Episode 8, Humanity Fights Back. Starring Jeremy Carter, Shuli Cowan, Mark Gagliardi, Matt Gorley, Mark Evan Jackson, Mark McConville, and Paul F. Tompkins. Previously, aliens have invaded the Earth and they seek to destroy us. Whilst heckling American hero and baseball star Jim Lyons, the Grey Martian's weakness was discovered. They possess a nut allergy. Now, all over the world, humanity strikes back against their outer spatial foes. We're going to do something new. Um, we're talking to um, the guys who do This American Wife, that podcast. Uh -huh which is a really fun and charming podcast. So we may do something with him. Um, but yeah, we're talking about a few other things for that fourth week uh, episode. Uh, and the podcast, yes, is available on iTunes. It's also available via Nerdist.com. Of course. Uh, yeah, you guys might get some more coverage on Suckatash because I'm planning to do a series of shows about each of the comedy podcast networks. Oh, really? That's great. Yeah. So each I, I know of two. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot out there actually. There's uh Split Sider just started their own. Oh yes, I did see that, which is really Jay, cool. Yeah, Jay Moore has started one. Mm-hmm. Um That's right. 
And there are other ones. The I guess Code Hop Network. Phone, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's all beginning to uh, coagulate. Yeah, it's it's an interesting time. You know, I'm, I'll be curious to see how these networks, one, can brand themselves, which I think Earwolf and Nerdist have really done well. Um, but also, you know, whether people are seeking them out or whether or not it even makes a difference. I know it definitely made a difference for us when we joined Nerdist. Again, it was the kind of thing where we knew the Nerdist audience would like the Thrilling Adventure Hour if they knew of it. Uh, so the fact that we joined means they knew of it, and it gave us a lot more numbers in our, our downloads. Uh, yeah, and if you look at things like uh, go up to Stitcher Radio and see the shows that are doing really well, the ones that are all on the same network all tend to sort of glom together. Yeah. And they're all doing well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I think it is a benefit. So congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, ben, anything else about the show that uh, you want to reveal to the audience that might not be obvious to the casual listener? <laughs> um, just that I guarantee that it's, you know, if you are any kind of genre fan, you will enjoy this show, whether you are a comedy fan or a science fiction fan or a horror fan, uh, you will find something to enjoy in this show. Um, yeah, that, that's all I can tell you. Okay. And if you're in LA, if you're in LA, please come to the live show. You know, it's, it's a it's a different vibe from the podcast uh, slightly, um, and it's it's always a lot of fun. And we have some a couple of really cool things coming up in the next few months. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out, and I get down there every couple of months. So I'll, yeah, uh, I'm down by myself. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, continued success with a thrilling adventure hour. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Have a great night. You too. Bye bye. Bye. Friends, for years, Henderson's Pants has been saying that we offer stylish lower body wear for every member of your family. Well, it's time to come clean. That hasn't been exactly truthful. Sure, Henderson's offered pants for mom and dad, brother and sister, even baby. But what about Fido and Fluffy, the dogs and cats of this great country? Aren't they members of the family too, you ask? Well, they are now. With Henderson's Pet Pants, your favorite furry friend doesn't have to be bare-assing around the house any longer. With more colors and fabrics than you can fetch a stick with, pets now have no excuse not to be putting on the dog or cat when it comes to stepping out in style. And Henderson's Pet Pants are not just limited to your pooch or pussy. Birds, fish, lizards, we are complete petophiles at Henderson's, and we have just the pant no matter what your companion companion's persuasion. Whether you want to see your Dalmatian in denim or your Persian in petal pushers, we've got it. That squawking cockatiel in corduroy, goldfish in gold lame, or Komodo dragon in khaki, ho-ho, we've got it. Hendersons can even lock your livestock up in stylish trousers. Imagine Porky's ham hocks in herringbone, or your frisky llama in linen. We've got that, too. Originally designed for petting zoos, furry conventions, and the Bohemian Grove, Henderson's Pet Pants are now available, truly for the first time, for the entire family. That's Henderson's, makers of fine trousers and pantaloons since 1896, and now back to Suckatash. All right, I mentioned last episode that our intrepid political correspondent and ambassador to the middle, Will Durst, has an e-book out called Elect to Laugh, just in time for the big November elections. 
It's a collection of his election year rants and raves, some of which you may have even heard pieces of here on our Burst of Durst. But uh, you'd like to get up online and check that out, I think. It's a funny damn book. A damn funny book? Both. Uh, we have a link up at SuccotashShow.com. You can also go to his website, WillDurst.com. It's uh, very cheap and, uh, or I should say inexpensive. It's high quality humor at an affordable price. So that's a willdurst.com to get yourself a copy of Elect to Laugh. And here is uh, this week's Burst O' Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few words on the first presidential debate for which a surprisingly large segment of America tuned in. But for some unknown reason, President Obama was not among them. Who was in charge of his debate prep? Clint Eastwood? At least an empty chair might have provided sturdier resistance. Obviously, the White House staff is busy trying to convince us the Commander-in-Chief's subpar debate performance can be traced back to the Bush administration. But outside of the fact that Mitt Romney wants to kill Big Bird, not much was learned. And no word on how he feels about the Cookie Monster. The general consensus is Romney didn't just win, he crushed. Down goes Frazier. And he did it by contradicting most of his previous positions. The former governor of Massachusetts used the debate to claim to oppose tax cuts for the rich, favor portions of Obamacare, and to demonstrate his concern about the bailout of big banks. And puppies. He likes puppies. Hell, that guy got it done pretty well in the Democratic primaries. Maybe it was Obama sleepwalking, but it seemed like the debate went on forever, or at least way past Jim Lehrer's bedtime, who morphed from deferential to invisible. Made the NFL replacement refs look effective. Perhaps the president was distracted by his 20th wedding anniversary because he rambled on, apparently thinking the winner would be determined by time of possession. And what was so interesting about the podium that compelled him to keep looking down? Was he taking one last longing look at his iPad with the pretty presidential seal, or was he focused on a particularly frustrating sequence of angry birds? Now there's plenty of time for both sides to retool messages for their next confrontation and expect Obama's people to encourage him to pen Romney down on some facts and for Romney to practice a different listening face that doesn't look like a cross between patience, smugness, and just a touch of sling blade. For Succotash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst. Get yourself a little more Durst over at willdurst.com. Also, remember his book, Elect to Laugh. You can also get that there. He also tweets at Will Durst, W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T. And that's all she wrote for Epi 37. If you are a comedy podcaster and want us to feature your show on Succotash, just send a three to five minute MP3 clip to clips at succotashshow.com. You can contact us at mark at succotashshow.com or info at succotashshow.com. We do tweet as well at succotashshow is where you'll find us. Also, if you're on Facebook, we have a Succotash Show page, which you can like. And if you want to talk to us, call us on the Succotash hotline, 818-921-7212. And until next time, we are Succotash. And remember, won't you please pass the Succotash? You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants. And imagine your company's name right here. 
Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com or at Suckatash Show on iTunes and even at Suckatash Show on your smartphone Stitcher app. Follow Suckatash on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Friend Suckatash on Facebook. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com or just pick up that phone and give Suckatash a ring at 1-818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino at Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please... Pass the succotash.